Welcome to RSP Scout Talk with Russ Landy. I'm Matt Waldman. Russ, thanks again for joining me this week. This is going to be a fun show. Oh, there's no doubt. And I got to tell everybody there, I do these things, podcasts, radio, whatever. Never anything better than the hour I get to talk ball with Matt. We have a lot of fun. We talk about subjects I think very few people dive into. And we talk about it from two totally different backgrounds, which I think helps us to sort of find a, a middle spot that's usually more correct than either of our points of view. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It's, it, I look forward to this show all the time. I mean, and this is going to be one of those shows that is going to be so much fun to listen to um, your thoughts and your perspective on because I've always get so much from from being able to have these conversations with you. And, and that subject is, who are our guys? Like, the, when we look at from a positional standpoint and from scouting players all these years, who are guys that we would build teams with? And conversely, who are guys that may be good football players, productive football players? Maybe that's the best way to put it, productive yeah. football players. But we would probably not draft or not want to build a team around even though they may have success with in other organizations. So let's start this off with just um, let's just start with the, the the main position that everybody wants to know about <laughs> is is quarterback. Let's start with that. Who are some guys that you that we'll start with the you know conversely the converse part of it is like who are guys that are good or recognized as productive but you just would not want to have and I think we have at least two of them in common. Yeah, I mean it's funny because I to me there's there's Kyler Murray. And, and Mariota, who I think we both agree with. And the funny part to me is Murray and Baker Mayfield is another one. Yeah. And that's partly because there's a similarity between the two, which to me is very frustrating, which is the lack of comfort in the pocket when yes. things and, – and I don't like quarterbacks who aren't comfortable in the pocket. Yeah, I have a real – like that's one of the things that I love and makes me comfortable with Lamar Jackson, even though – and we've talked about a bunch – I hate his accuracy outside of a small area – I love the fact that within the pocket, he's generally very relaxed and he's never like jittery and jumping around. Whereas when I watch Murray and when I watch Mayfield, it almost seems that with Murray, it's more about when things change in front of him, when there's blitzes and different things he didn't expect. With Mayfield, it's just a matter of if it lasts beyond a second and a half in the pocket, he just gets jittery. Yeah. And I don't like quarterbacks who can't handle what's going on or sitting in the pocket because while it's great to get out and make plays like Russell Wilson did or like Josh Allen does or Lamar Jackson, there is still a, a level, and I don't know where it is, of you must be able to function at a certain level within the pocket to at least give your offense a chance to succeed. And I just don't know if Murray can be that guy. It looks like Mayfield cannot be, based on the last two years of play, that you have to have a comfort level in the pocket. And that's also what I see a little bit with Mariota. Not so much a lack of comfort, but just the lack of, is he really a natural quarterback or is he almost a great rare athlete who's a great human being just sort of figuring it out as he goes as opposed to being more of a Garoppolo or a Brady or a Rodgers where it's the, the steps are planned, I know where my feet are going, I'm reading, I'm scanning, boom, the ball's out. And I don't see that with either of those three as often. Although Murray probably flashes it, I just don't see the consistency there. Yeah, and I'm 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 so with you on this point because when I look at Murray, when I would watch him at Oklahoma, first 
the first thing that popped off to me was that he runs to he runs from and to every spot. And when I think of a quarterback managing the pocket, I want whether you can run like he does, like what he does to be able to buy time. The fact that he can buy sometimes six to eight seconds behind the line of scrimmage is unheard of. It's it's it is it's totally unbelievable that the play he had against the Raiders this week this year was a good example of that. But the problem is is that works maybe one time a game, and unless you're in a close game. It doesn't matter. It's not as impactful. What's more impactful is that when you do, when you see pressure or feel pressure, and you drop your eyes, the ball shoots out behind you. You completely lose any possibility of being able to reset and throw right away, and you force your receivers to reroute because you have to buy that time. Because instead of sliding two steps or sliding climbing three steps and sliding two steps to one side where you can create like, you know, I watch, you know, Skylar Thompson did that, you know, just in his first start, you know, he did it in his first game, even though he was overwhelmed in his first game. You see those types of things from even players like Russell Wilson can do that, who, who run a lot. Lamar does it great, but they, they can keep their receivers from having to reroute. They can continue along their break paths and be able to hit them in that second or third window. Kyler Murray can't do that because of how how he reacts. It's all dynamic movement as opposed to refined movement. And well, I almost think, and and this is something I've sort of, and we've talked about it at other positions, and yeah. I've talked about it ad nauseum with sort of people at conferences and stuff, which is coaches understand the ability to pull a rabbit out of the hat and make a rare play. But for coaches to be successful, they need consistency. Yeah. So they need to be able to know. It's great that Murray can do that once a game, but every single snap, it's easier to coach and have a play call that's going to work when you know what you're getting. And even and a perfect example of how valuable that is is, is Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Because Lamar, and we've talked about it at LSU, there are issues with him as a thrower. There's no question. But why is that offense so successful? because they know exactly what he's elite at and where he struggles. They don't ask him to do much he's not good at. They let him focus on read it, get rid of the ball quickly because you're so smart. You, you're you understanding everything you need to know. You can get the ball out so fast. Let's get it out quick on the short throws. Let's not make you sit for four seconds and make the 18-yard far side out throw because that's not your strength. Yeah. And the reason it's successful is they know what they're getting every single snap, just like with Tom Brady. He's never going to win a race. He's never going to run for first downs. But you knew exactly what you got, which is a guy who can move. He can slide. He's rarely going to put the ball into a bad spot. And he's going to go through the field. And the moment he sees it, it's out. Yes. Whereas with Murray it's and Mariota and even Mayfield, it's almost like, hey, I'm going to sort of figure it out on the fly. And you know as well as I, you've been doing this 20 years. Coaches don't want figured out on the fly. No. And, that's, and what, one of the great things about this is that Mariota is a great example too for me because the same pocket issues, but where he's different to me is I've I there was a great analogy of um, I used to call it task oriented and creative, but then Mark Schofield, who used to when he was writing for me, turned it into an article of Baker versus Chef, and how like if you're a chef, you kind of learn you can do things on the fly and kind of add ingredients. 
um, you know, you kind of have a good feel for situations and you react in a manner where you can be a little bit more creative because with cooking, the, the, the recipe doesn't have to be exact. You can see when things happen that you can make adjustments and you make good adjustments and still the dish comes out good and it's the dish you wanted it to be. Whereas yeah. with a, being a baker, everything has to be exact. If you don't have the exact amount of flour, the exact amount of water, it's not going to work. It, and and Marcus Mariota, while he has the physical characteristics of a chef, he's really a baker in mentality. And that means that he has he's very task-oriented and when things don't go as expected, he can't do it. He it, he self-destructs more often. Murray is a chef, but he's not a high-quality chef in the way that he does things. You know, you you could even argue that like to be a great West Coast quarterback, it's like you can have some chef mentalities, but you have to actually be such a high-end baker with everything that yeah. you kind of blur the lines between baker and chef because you make things that look unbelievably creative and you can make adjustments but it's about knowing everything every possibility and being so prepared that you make task oriented look creative and and, and tell me if you don't wonder about this because i really do with kyler because to me the thing that's unique about him is he's more accurate than a lot of quarterbacks like him who just run around like mayfield although mayfield was very accurate in college the last two years he has not been I wonder what Murray would be like in a more traditional offense. Yeah. Because he can set up and get rid of the ball fast. He can make beautiful throws downfield when he does things right. I just wonder, is that offense combined with his skill set an awful match? I think it's enabled him to be the worst that he can be. Oh, there you go. That's a great way to say yeah. it. Yeah, I could see that. It's kind of like, you know, in college, they, they leaned on him being this guy. Cliff yep. Kingsbury comes in and goes, well, he knows what I'm about. I know what he's about. We're going to do it. And next thing you know, we're hearing in the media that they put in the clause that they want him to study more. Well, you've enabled that behavior by allowing him to do these things that that don't force him to work up to the best of his behavior. And, you, and I would say that's the same thing with like a guy like Drew Locke, who God enabled his entire career to not be as prepared as he could be. And then when he had yep. the opportunity to work at it and really advance his skills, he didn't do it until Teddy Bridgewater came into town and it was too late. So, And you know, you, you the, the thing you mentioned about the, the study thing, the other part that I wonder if the offense where it makes him the worst he is, is when Kingsbury first came in and I'm watching Arizona, I kept looking at their offense. I am far from an X and O's person. And this is why the story will make sense. I kept looking at going, it seems to me that I know what they're doing on offense. And I said, there's no way that can be because my knowledge of schemes is zero. So I asked people around the league and they said, yeah, they said it really is from a defensive coaching perspective. It's a much easier offense to grasp and understand. And I thought, well, is that part of what's also making it bad for Kyler? Because it's so basic for the defense that he can't do the quick yeah. stuff. Because they know what's coming. So he has to start dancing and running and moving in this. As opposed to if he were in a traditional, not traditional, but whatever you want to say, yeah. where an offense where there's multiple options, it's not as easy for the defense to read, that he might have his first and second read more consistently as opposed to having to sit there and sort of sort of run around like a chicken without his head to find guys that are yeah. open. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect way of describing it because when you look at that offense, you'll see 
the, you know, the way they use Rondale Moore is a perfect example. Rondale Moore, when he was at Purdue, you could put him in the slot. He'd have two-way goes, and his unbelievable quickness with releases and release work that he could do was special. I mean, like good enough, or or good enough to say that he could be a matchup problem on short and intermediate routes um, that went more than five yards beyond the line of scrimmage. But the first thing they do with him, they have Greg Dorch, they who subs for Murray, and they're having him run screens, and that's working. But they're also having him run some short and intermediate routes where he actually has a literal stem to manipulate a defender and and catch the ball on the run. Well, when it's time for Moore to come back, what do they do? Orbit motion to a screen. Linebackers in perfect position to, to drop them. Another screen, perfect position to drop them. I mean, like, it took literally two and a half quarters for them to figure out that maybe they should let Rondell Moore run a route and get separation and that the defense wasn't prepared that they were actually going to run real routes. And so if you don't, if you have, like, basically something that the defense goes, I know what this is, I just have to be in a spot to be ready for it, it doesn't matter how athletic you are. That, and and then if Mur if it doesn't come open, now Murray's left to his own devices because there is nothing left yep. for him to do. And which, and which raises the question of how how much do we think as outsiders the Bidwells are sitting there saying, we gave this guy an extension, this coach. Yeah, yeah. Because they got to be thinking, whew, this yeah. could go really bad. <laughs> and the GM and the coach both getting extensions when whew, this ain't looking pretty so far. No, not at all. And when I look at a Mayfield, I mean. To me, what's interesting, like, or you look at Lamar Jackson, you talk about Lamar Jackson, and he would definitely be one of my guys, um, Russ, because even though I agree with you about the, the outside accuracy, I mean, and the velocity is not great on, on to those throws, the fact that you can compensate with him as a runner and he can get you 6, 8, 12, 14 yards untouched on perimeter runs to stretch the field horizontally and then let him stretch it vertically with his arm in the middle of the field where he's strong. And then you have the run game to reinforce kind of the bind going outside or inside. I would I would build around that. Like to me, I mean, when they were considering Baker Mayfield the year that year, for me it was it was either that year or the year um before. I don't remember which class Lamar was a part of, but I remember thinking I remember being on a Cleveland Browns show saying you want Lamar Jackson, like get Lamar Jackson, get a good run game. You know, Cleveland's about Cleveland's identity has always been about having a strong run game, be a good running team and have Lamar be that guy. And imagine Lamar Jackson, Nick Chubb and Kareem hunt and what oh. you could do with that offensive line to, yep. to, to do what they do. It would be, they, they would kill it. I mean, the Ravens are good at it. The Browns would be great. Yep. No, it's it's one of those things. It's it's frustrating when and given part of it is also there aren't that many quarterbacks. So sometimes you're forced to play with what you have. But when you have a guy like Lamar or a guy like Brady, there are so many things above the shoulders that allow them to do things that just mere mortals can't. That you look at and say, okay, I may not love everything Lamar does or everything Brady does. But the package of what they can do phenomenally yeah, because of physical and because of how strong they are above the shoulders, 
it allows you different things. And that's, to me, one of the things that I, I was talking last night on the class I teach. He asked me, he said, why is, he said, why would Deshaun Jackson, how is he going to help Baltimore? And I said, it's the easiest thing ever. I said, one of the beautiful things Lamar does is if he throws a deep ball, it's either on target or it's 10 yard fast. The guy, yeah. he doesn't throw balls that are contested, intercepted. So they're going to be able to attempt those. And because Deshaun can run by any human in the world, all of a sudden those tight ends, the Andrews guys, they're going to be much more open because Deshaun can take the top off because Lamar is such a natural deep yeah. thrower that it all of a sudden makes that offense even more dangerous. Rashad Bateman and Devon and, and Devin Duvernay can run after the catch, and that's going to open up that. Yep, I, exactly. And just to end this with uh, some lesser guys, guys who may not have the kind of the cachet that I would take over guys like Murray um, in, in that level would be, I think of um, Derek Carr. You know, to me, I, you know, I, I look at what Derek, I'm not in love with a lot of things that Derek Carr does as a decision maker when things break down, but I know who he is and I know that he's prepared. And I feel like that while his pocket presence isn't great, it's gotten better. Um, and I feel like he, him, Geno Smith and how he's playing, Geno's playing great. And Geno's always been a good pocket guy. You know, the maturity was the question about him, you know, after the, his first experience in New York. But what, how he's playing and how he moves and how he and the throws he's making, the decisions he makes, I can work with that, you know. Yep. And, you know, I'll add one in that I didn't grade him in college, so I didn't have a great viewpoint, but I kept hearing so many comparisons to Kyler Murray. But when I've seen Jalen Hurts play, yeah, I see a very different player in the pros than what I see of Kyler Murray in the pros. I see a very definitive decision maker. Um, is he perfect throwing the ball? No, but he's pretty good. He has a, he has a pocket sense that I would not have expected from everything I had heard. Yeah. Um, and to me, there's a lot there. I look at Hertz and think, wow, in two years, where is he going to be? He could be really special. I'd love to work with him. And you mentioned the guy when we were first debating this topic, uh, Davis Mills. Yeah. And he, to me, there's a very intriguing thing about him. I remember grading him when he was coming out. And if you took just the good, there was a lot of first round yes. stuff in there in terms of throwing the ball, fitting it in in spaces, over the linebackers, fitting those uh, the, the, the sideline throws between the corner and the safety and too deep. And things you saw there, you say, oh, okay. But then you saw the bad and you say, okay, there's some work to be done. Yeah. But he's not a throwaway. There's something there that if you have a good quarterback coach, I could see Mills not saying he's as good as Hurts, but those are two young guys that I really think there's some potential there to become very good starting quarterbacks. I agree. I'm a big fan of Davis Mills, and I I, I agree with you. The The confidence to make the throws that he does, um, he he's not afraid to, you know, to me, players who can make tight window throws matter and do it with the high processing speed. Where I Where I didn't like Baker Mayfield, was that when I graded his accuracy and I looked at catchable accuracy versus um, versus pinpoint accuracy, yep. he failed in the pinpoint, and it, and it was and it came down to me about he would wait that extra beat to confirm it was open, and and that was where I was like, that's where he's going to wind up throwing slightly behind receivers, slightly above and ahead, and all around them in ways that's going to frustrate a guy going across the middle who's got tight coverage on him and no doubt. And of course, 
Odell's daddy was not pleased with all that. So, um, but but at the end of the day, let's move on to let's move on to wide receiver. And I know it's a big topic because it's a lot of a lot of positions wrapped into one. But I'd love to know like some of your guys, some of your guys who some people who may not be your guys. And well, I'll, I'll give you two. One's a receiver, one's a tight end. Because I still remember, and I'm sure you do too, the year that Judy and Ruggs came out. Yes. Of Alabama. I remember grading them and I remember saying, gosh, they're interesting, but who's this other receiver, Smith? And and I thought he was a better player when the year that Ruggs and Judy were in the draft and Smith had another year. I thought Smith was the better player. And part of it was I really didn't like Judy. And I'm not saying really didn't like like he's undraftable. I'm right. not an idiot. Right. But when I watch Judy run, I see a guy who's a little bit upright and a little bit robotic. And because of that, on the on the slight cut routes, like the post routes and the corners, he's fine because the stiffness doesn't really affect that ability to do it. But when he has to put a foot in the ground and run those really sharp, the digs and the comebacks and the stops, he looks a little bit like, hey, I've got to I've got to slow down. I've got to control myself. I've got to get myself. And it looks he just doesn't look like a comfortable athlete at times. Um, and the other guy to me is Noah Fant the tight end when he came oh, out yeah. because to me he's like a 20 or 30 pound heavier judy in yeah. that he's he's even more upright i mean to me he's an ultra upright stiff robotic now he can run supposedly he's a smart kid from everybody that i've ever, ever spoken to and he can catch but he's so stiff it makes it hard for him to catch if it's not within a close radius so those are two guys and i'm not trying to not knock them as people but as players they're very frustrating because I want guys who are fluid. Yeah. For me, if, if a receiver's stiff, he better just be rare and special in terms of just I can run away from people and I never drop the ball. And yeah. I don't see that with Judy. And with Fant, it just to me, he's a good third, maybe a backup, but I don't want him starting as a tight end. I've been I've been writing about this for the past two years in my fantasy columns trying to des to describe to fantasy readers that there are two types of players on a spectrum um, or two spectrum ends of the spectrum there's what I call schemed players and matchup players yep. and and the matchup players are like you know a Devon, you know a Stefan Diggs or a DeAndre Hopkins who neither you know you can say they're very different athletically but they both on third and 12 and they're matched up against Jalen Ramsey, you're still going to throw the ball to them. You're still going to target them. They'll find a way to get open. Yes. Noah Fant is the type of player that on third and 12, unlike, say, Travis Kelsey, you're not throwing the ball to him in that situation. You're, Unless the defender falls down. Yes. You're, <laughs> you're, you're creating a throwback screen. You're creating some sort of play action element where he's the only target and all your forces are marshaled to create space for him to make the catch. But he doesn't have to do anything other than run forest run when he gets the ball. And it's not to imply that he's not a smart guy. It's just that it doesn't, he doesn't pro he doesn't integrate all his skills into his game in a manner where he can really process it that well without having some overthinking or underthinking on a play that drops off. And it's not about intelligence as we've talked about, you know, Ryan no, Fitzpatrick and, and, and Alex Smith are two of the most intelligent quarterbacks we've ever seen, but Brett Favre didn't know what a nickel was, but who would you have rather had 
you know, to integrate all these different elements and come up with a solution. You're going to want well, far. You and I have talked a bunch. Football intelligence is often different than intelligence yeah. intelligence. Yeah. So that, that's, I think, some of those guys, they run into the problem. They're so smart. But when it's lights are on and, the, and things are going a million miles an hour, they just don't have that reactionary instinct yeah. from what their brain is seeing to to play to their athletic ability. And that's why, like, for me, the guys like DeAndre Hopkins, Cooper Cup, and Michael Thomas, I mean, they're all great players, so I'll mention some less guys who are not as productive. But they fit what I love, or a Justin Jefferson, because they can play multiple positions. They have unbelievable quickness off the line. They're fluid. And they can get in the head of the defender with how they run routes. And they can make contested plays. They're physical football players who win in compressed areas. So I love guys like that. And a, an Alabama receiver I loved, who I had just below the highest graded receiver I ever had, which was Jamar Chase, was Jalen Waddle. Because Waddle yep. has that, he plays big, he's plays tough, he's physical at the catch point. He may not box people out like, you know, AJ Brown, who I love, you know, or Metcalf, but he can go, he knows he times his leaps. Well, he knows how to adjust. He can, he, he is an acrobat at the boundary. He has just perfect technique in that level. Whereas like guys that I don't really find that I'm as drawn to, you, you know, a good example of it would be, Gabe Davis, he's a good player, but to me, he's a player you've got to scheme or you've got to, to to get open where you have like, you know, like against the Rams game where they have the the throwback to him off a of play action where he acts like he's blocking down and gets open that way. Or you have to have a special quarterback or a good quarterback who will stand in there, take the hit and have three and a half, four seconds to wait for him to outrun all three levels of the defense for him to win. And while that's a nice element, and if it's there and we can leverage that, I would be happy with it. But when the team decides that they're going to pay Kenny Galladay money for him um, and expect him to be what Galladay wasn't and then turned out to be what Galladay is right now, yep. uh, that, would, that would be me going in the room saying no. Spend yep. our money elsewhere, please. Because, See, yeah. And, and it's interesting you say that. It just, and, and I'll let you finish. It's just interesting when you think that there are certain players where really when you watch them a lot, it does really, scheme really plays a huge part of their ability to succeed. But you were finishing there. So. Yeah. And what, where, but I would rather have a guy like Juju Smith Schuster, you know, oh, who yeah. isn't a, who isn't a speedster, um, but I know he's going to find the open area. I know that where we can scheme him, he's going to be worthwhile because if the scheme doesn't work, he'll find a way to help us out anyway in multiple facets. Or a guy who no one really talks about who isn't seen as a high-end receiver but I think has been misused his entire career is Josh Reynolds with Detroit. I I would take Josh. Football. Yeah. yeah, he he is... When they when they were missing Amon Ross St. Brown, the the Detroit started to use him in the way that he starred at Texas A&M, which was as a boundary receiver and a red zone guy who can go up and win the ball 
from the defender. Instead, they use him as this like dig route slant, like inside kind of seam route player. And he's been fashioned into that from the McVay system. And they used him there. But McVay never used him as the guy that he was great at at A&M. And I thought he was a near elite ball winner in that Oh, he area. was. Yep. Yeah. There's and, no doubt. And they flashed that, but they don't use him that way. But to me, the fact that he learned to do one and they never use him in the other, uh, it's just mind-boggling to me because I you know, I think they have there's a starting receiver in this guy and when he when they use him in in that capacity, he's pretty good. I mean, yep. so I would agree. You know. Now, I'll give you to me there are three receivers that I think are so interesting because two fit the mold of not rare athletes, but very good athletes, but they do everything right, and that's why they can get open scheme, matchup, whatever you want. And that's Keenan Allen and oh, Devontae Adams. Yeah. I mean, neither of them is a blazer, but they have good size. Their their fundamentals are rare. Um, they never drop a ball. Um, and th those are guys I love to watch. And it's funny because one of Keenan Allen's teammates is sort of the complete opposite in that Mike Williams is not a guy you would say has to be schemed open but he's not as fundamentally sound as the others. But the thing that he has is he's just such a weird contortionist yeah. that he doesn't have to be open. Yeah. And he's fun to watch because now given he gets hurt all the time and that's sort of what held him back. But I love watching him and Keenan on the field together because they have two guys who can get open anytime, or I shouldn't say get open, can make plays anytime because Keenan can get open. Mike can make a play even if he's not open because he'll just twist and turn and make these catches but they're so different athletically yes. yet they both can produce the same thing, which is they don't have to be schemed to make their plays. They can do it on their own, just in very different ways. I love that you bring up Mike Williams because he's, he, that contortionist, I joke around he's like a vacuum cleaner with the extendable, with that extendable arm, you know, because he, he just sucks everything up. But you, the point that you bring up about him getting hurt all the time, there's, you brought up um, Judy being the guy who plays kind of stiff and, yeah. and, and robotic. A guy who I love watching play and think is a fantastic player and couldn't wait for him to get his shot in New York, but can't stay healthy. And it was my concern in the scouting report. And I was hoping that it would work out this year because it seemed like it was heading in that direction is Kadarius Tony. Kadarius yeah. Tony plays out of control. And that's of part of the problem is that when you watch him, he makes unbelievable he's unbelievably fluid. He makes great dynamic cuts. He is he is a nightmare to guard. Um he tracks the ball so well, but he gets so far out in front of his body with violent moves that he slips a lot and you see the, the issues with that movement where you go that is a soft tissue injury waiting to happen like every 15 plays, you know, every 15 reps. And that's what's happened with him. I was hoping it yep. maybe it would get tamed a little bit. He would tame this as he would refine his game. But I just don't know whether that's the case. He can't, he's not even on the field right now because he can't stay on it. See, I'm wondering, because only to me, one of two things is going to happen with him, which is in three years, he's out of football. Yeah. Or, in three years, he'll have been cut by the Giants. He'll go to another team and get cut there because he'll blame the Giants on the Giants. Yes. But when the next thing happens and he gets cut within a year and a half, 
maybe he'll start to hear all the different things those coaches are saying. And on his third team, the light may go on and he realizes, I'm so good talent-wise, I don't have to be out of control. Yeah. Just play within myself. Then it may all of a sudden he may blossom, but I don't think it's going to happen until the third team. Yeah. Because he seems like one of those guys who almost needs to sort of get that shake in the head to be like, hey, you don't have to score a touchdown every play. Yeah. Just do your job, do your job, and do your job, and you're going to turn into a star. And I think what we have in common with the players we're looking at is that we like players who play within control. Players 100%. Who have, players who have good route fun, fundamentals, who are physical at the catch point in terms of at least being able to handle physical coverage and win. Um, and it and speed is speed is a nice to have, but not essential. And and that's Quick, quickness more important than speed. Yes, they give you that short area quickness. Yes, all day, every day. That's yep. exactly yeah. That's exactly where I'm at, and it's and that's why. I mean, you, you look at a lot of players on that level. It's and that's why, like, I would fail. I would be glad to fail on a Dante Pettis, knowing that what I saw in his game. I would have been glad, you know, there's other things that I would have to know to learn from to avoid a Dante Pettis, but the, the, a lot of things that he did fit that as a, oh, as a guy that would fail. Well, him, the, you know, what's funny is the guy, the, uh, the kid that reminds me of sort of the young version of what we're looking at. And I can't remember his name for the life of me is I think he's with Buffalo now and they took him out of Boise state. I love Khalil Shakir. Yeah. He's he, oh looks to me like a smaller version of Keenan Allen in terms of he's got short area quickness. Yeah. His routes are so precise. Yeah. And if he doesn't make it, it's going to be one of those ones where I go, okay, that's just, you're, that's on me because yeah. every single trait that I love about what we're talking about, yeah. he has. Yeah. Emmanuel Sanders is a good example of a player that would be a, my guy because of you know he'd be the speedier version deandre yes. hopkins would be the slower version and and deandre hopkins i love because receivers to me have to know the boundary between what's legal and what's not and know how to push that envelope like this uh, yep. and I, i've pissed off some high school defensive coaches who've I've I've shown him um, Hopkins and Jalen Ramsey having a battle where they're literally both going past the line of what's legal um, and seeing how epic of a matchup that was. And he and I remember this guy just going off and going, you don't teach kids that. And I'm going, you're right. You don't teach kids that. But adults need to learn it because this is how the league is. And, oh, yeah. and they need to know where the referee's positioned. And and with certain routes, what they can get away with with pulling and pushing and yep. and wrapping and and giving a quick yank. Like if you want to watch, it's like it's like those bad prison movies that we all have seen and want to watch, where you see how are they going to like create a weapon to like defend themselves or to or to or to like game the system to get what they want, and you're like you're both repulsed and fascinated by like the ingenuity and the violence of what's going to happen here. Watching these two guys go at it is like watching people who have the smarts yep. to like, and create things that you don't learn in school. You know? No, that's that's what you love when it's the uh, the corners or the receivers that are just a level above mentally. 
Yeah. They understand the little tricks. Yeah. That can totally screw up the route or their ability. They can find a way to get open so easily because they understand the placement of an elbow and dropping an arm right as you hit a certain point freezes him and allows you to get out of your cut without anybody even knowing except you and him. Yeah. And, and, and those are the things that when you find a guy who knows how to do that or a coach that knows how to teach that, that's a keeper. Yeah, without a doubt. So let's go to the cornerbacks because that's a, you know, we can go to the other side of the spectrum with some of those. I mean, I think of guys like, um, I can't, God, I can't remember his name, but he was a, a short little cornerback who played um, for the Buccaneers recently, like around the Calvin Johnson era. Um, and I think with Detroit, he, I think he played with a couple of teams. I'll remember his name, but I like players who can be physical, who know how to kind of, um, you know, withstand physicality and, and to be able to win in terms of really timing the throw. Well, being able to know when to get up and get their hands around it. But a, a young guy who has that feel for me, who's developing, is Kendall Vildor of the of the Bears. I've always oh, liked yeah. Kendall Vildor. I like his physicality. I like that uh, you know, I, I think that he's getting better at the catch point and and there's a there's a level of um you know not the speediest guy, but really just kind of tracks routes well. And I think and he's a good tackler. And I want guys who can kind of play the run, who can also who can also, you know, stay tight with receivers and really time where the ball's going. Well, I always look back and remember, now he's out of the league now, but Brandon Flowers yes, one. Um, and it's funny, two of the guys that I like now, one of them is always hurt, is Jason Barrett. Um, when that little bugger is healthy, I mean, he's everything I want in the corner because he has the foot quickness, that agility. He not only can stay with the receivers, but he has that – aggressive mentality of trying to make plays. Um, and the other kid is the young kid that's starting for Buffalo, Dane Jackson. Yes. This is a kid I didn't know much about, but I went down to the senior bowl and I'm watching this little kid and he looks like a popsicle stick. He's so thin, but he plays like he's Mr. America. He's willing to put his hands on guys and cut guys off and squeeze them. He's physical. He's aggressive. That's what I want. I want corners. Don't get me wrong. We all want the six foot two guys who can run four four and are great agility. But there's one of those in the world. Yeah. You generally are either under six feet with good agility and, and explosiveness, or over six feet with length and good straight line speed, but not great agility. So you have to look at what you want, which is I want instinctive, physical, aggressive corners who are not afraid to go for the ball. And to me, instincts are a big part of it. I always remember being told by coaches that there are some guys you're going to find that are great athletes, are great in coverage. And one of them I always think of is Terrence Newman. He was phenomenal at staying with the guys, always there, which led to a lot of quarterbacks not throwing the ball. But when they did throw it, he didn't make a lot of plays on the ball. He was often one of those guys who was right there, but didn't have that final instinct to reach in front and break the pass up. Yeah. So, And he was a good player. I'm not saying that he wasn't. But to me, those guys that have that just that instinct, that raw, just Casey Hayward's another example. Yeah. Yeah. The guy that's not a great athlete, but he's got an instinct oh, and awareness. Yeah. To me, you have to have that. It's not just physical tools for a corner. It's the mental tools. Where do you, you don't have it, it's hard. Where do you stand with Marcus Peters? 
You know, I like Marcus. He's a little bit stiff, and he's a little almost over-aggressive. Yes. Because, and I think part of that is, I think part of it's the issues he had in college, getting benched, getting kicked out, and he's got a little chip on his shoulder, like, I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm good enough. If he didn't have that attitude, I don't know if he'd make it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, because he's got, because he's not a 4-4 guy. When he has to turn and run, the real fast guys sometimes can pull away. There's a lot to like there. I just get very nervous about he's the type of guy that going against a Rodgers or a Russell Wilson when he was playing well or a Brady, they can take advantage because he's so aggressive. You can hit him with a hard pump, and especially if early in the game you throw two or three stop routes, the third time in a key spot you do stop and go, Peters will be chewing up the grass where he fell down because he started to break, and that guy's 40 yards behind him when he catches a touchdown. And I like Peters, but that's the risk you run against the elite quarterbacks. They'll set you up all game with the quick little stops, the outs, the digs, and then all of a sudden it's booming, I'm out of here, and Peters bites and phew. Yeah, he's a guy I like that I wouldn't build around, and that's why I He's hard to build around. Yeah, he is. Yes, that's a good example. Let's go to linebacker with this one because, you know, for me, guys that, that I tend to like, Russ, are like, Pete Warner and Eric Kendricks. I like guys like who they can cover, but they will fill the run and and they can they can get that job done. They may not be the most physical guys, but they really have a good feel for coverage lanes. Um, and and Kendricks to me has that has that skill. And there's there's a little bit of like Kendricks can disguise his intentions, and yeah. there's some things about the way that he baits players. And also, there's a gamesmanship to him where I've seen him draw penalties that were not penalties, but create situations where he knew he had no chance to be in the play, but draw holding penalties. By that, I mean, I saw it against the Cowboys on a Monday night game like a few years ago, where literally he had no shot of tackling Ezekiel Elliott. Like he was not even, his angle was awful. There's no way it was going to happen. And he was getting blocked. But instead of like just like running out the play, he play acted as if he got thrown down to the ground, wasn't even remote, and they called the penalty. And, yep. and, and it saved, I believe it either saved a touchdown or like a big play run. And I just remember laughing and thinking, if there's a guy I want playing like inside linebacker for me, yep. Eric Kendricks is at the top of the list. <laughs> it's funny. There are two guys I really like, one of whom I would build around completely, one I wouldn't build around even though I love him. So the first guy that I love and I'd build around is Miles Jack because there are so few guys athletically that it really isn't a challenge to cover running backs and tight ends. Now, given the Kelsey's who are 6'5", is just not as tall, but athletically he can stay with any of them. He yeah. can do whatever he wants in coverage. He can go sideline to sideline. He's not overly physical, coming up and blowing up plays. He'll make tackles. And in, like you mentioned, you don't have to be super – you don't have to be a violent player anymore. You can't be almost. Yeah. If you get too violent, you cross the line and you're out of the game. Um, but I love Miles because, like you said, in the NFL and coverage, if you can't cover as a linebacker, how do I play you? Yeah. It's a, it's a real liability. Whereas the other kid I like, that's his issue, is Perriman, Denzel Perriman. Yes. Um, Yes. Love Perriman because he plays with an attitude. He's super instinctive. He attacks the play. And in zone, he's fine. Because in zone, he can sit there, read the play in front of him, and go. But he's so stiff that when he has to just change directions or 
he's just running towards the play and realizes, oops, I bit. There's no recovery. There's no just, I can get back. And I love him to death. I wouldn't build around him because of that limitation in coverage, but I love the, the mentality he brings to the field. If I had a Miles Jack next to him, I might be willing to say, okay, I'll play him because he can help make up. But if I had him and I had to play another guy that was limited in coverage, then I'm really screwed. So you can only have one guy like Denzel that's on the field at linebacker at a time, whereas a Miles Jack, I can have as many as I want. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's interesting because a guy who's athletic like Miles Jack, who, you know, now it's kind of come to bear. If I said this a couple of years ago, it would be more compelling. But now I think it's been found out as Deion Jones. Like to me, Deion Jones was a guy that I would not build around. And because I felt like as athletic as he is and as good as he is sideline to sideline, I didn't feel like he was a good, he didn't take good angles. He wasn't a... He wasn't as instinctive of a player to time up where he needed to be and just always seemed to be, he, he would make some big plays, but it was due more to leaning on his athletic ability than leaning on his football skills. And so I would rather have the guy who maybe we, he's not covering sideline to sideline as much, but he, you know where the area of where he can be and you know that he's going to make the plays in that area. And he's also not going to have mental bust in this area. Yes. Like, he'll know where he's – like, then that's the one thing I'll give Perriman credit for is he can't do certain things because physically he's limited. But yeah. mentally, he's never going to have that bust. Yeah. And I think you, you nailed it with Dion is that he's one of those guys who, to me, is a far better athlete than football player. Yes. And he almost seems like he's done everything based on, I'm just so athletic, I'll go cover this wide receiver. I'm so athletic, I'll pick up this running back and cover him for 40 years – yards down the field but you know what if two guys line up near each other and i got to figure out which one to go with or if i got to sift through traffic i'm not going to understand the angles or the blockers that are around and i'm just screwed yeah and 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 those guys are very hard to build around because it's hard to build around a guy who you don't know if he's going to do it like we talk about the same thing every time a certain thing happens you want consistency yeah i mean there's a player that probably isn't going to be stay in the NFL um, that I, I would, who intrigues me because I think he's a smart player. I haven't scouted him because I don't scout linebackers, but <laughs> from what I've seen of him, I really liked his game and it was Evan Weaver of out of Cal who plays with, who is on the um, reserve um, futures contract for the Cardinals. And He's not an athlete, not on that level. He actually looks like a 1960s linebacker a little bit <laughs> when you look at him. Um, maybe that's why I like him. He's 6'3", 235. You know, he run, ran like a 4'7", 6'40", so he's slow, you know. But yeah. he he's a hitter. He seems to – I always thought he was good at covering passing lanes. He was a smart football player. He's one of those guys that I would I, I would like to see – what was about him? Was it that he just couldn't athletically hold up? Or was it that they just liked athletes more because the, the Cardinals seem to be into the... they Cliff seems to like those athletes that pop. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, more, and, and so, not yeah. all of them play. Like yeah. Isaiah Simmons yeah. doesn't do a whole lot. Yeah, I'll tell you, that it's funny. The one thing uh, that I thought of as we're talking about this is the trend of the past five or seven years is taking the big safety in college, like yeah. Landon Collins and putting him at linebacker. Yeah. 
And most of them don't work. But the one thing that intrigues me is I almost think, hey, if a kid gets to college and he's playing safety and he realizes, huh, I'm not a great athlete. I'm just I'm I'm hanging on by a thread of safety. Maybe early in your college career, either you or you maybe the coaches realize it and move you to linebacker. And if you look at what the Chargers ended up with, the Tranquil kid, yes. that was a kid that got to college as a safety, yeah. played safety, I think his first year or year and a half. And I think they all realized this is not going to end well because you're going to get embarrassed in space if you get pinned yeah. on a receiver. They moved him up and played him in the box because I think part of the issue, and I know we're going on a slight tangent here, all right. but part of the issue when you take those safeties and try to put them in the box in the NFL, they've never been in the box. Yes. So it's earth-shattering to them how fast things go. And by the time they learn, it's not they haven't learned quick enough and they're cut. Yeah. Whereas a kid like Tranquil, it happened in college. He got two years of bouncing around in the box to start to understand the speed and what goes on to where even though he's still learning the position, he's far ahead of the guys like Landon Collins who, got, who have been doing it longer, but they didn't do it before they got to the NFL yes. where you just don't have the learning time because, hey, it's next week, it's next opponent. There's not as much development of backup players in the NFL. Yeah, it's like you, you better be doing that on your own and and you got and when it's time for you to play, you better be ready or else your yep. shot's over. Yeah, it's it's too important. So I get that. Yeah, I, I love those. So let's go on the other side of the ball. Well, do you have another person you wanted to bring up? No, no. You know, I, I would say because I mentioned – Guys, I'm not a fan of yeah. Landon Collins, um, and the John Abram for the the Raiders. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and I love, and, and I hate saying that because from what I know, he may be the best kid there is. I mean, just yeah. like yeah. check every box as a human being and everything. He's a guy that would have benefited from as a sophomore, someone saying you're going to play Will. Yes, because if yes. he was in the box and he was ten or fifteen pounds heavier. And it adjusted to it because he's a striker. He can run through traffic, but he's never been in the box. So it's a learning experience. Whereas when he's at safety, now, is he fine when he's sitting back and he's in cover two or he's a deep center fielder? Fine. But when he gets pinned where he has to cover man-to-man, that is a matchup disaster. And in today's NFL, when you put a safety who can't cover man-to-man or at least get you by, that's a real mismatch that offenses identify and I hate to say it, but that to me is that's one of the guys I look at and say, ooh, if he's playing safety for you, you better watch out. Yes, and I totally agree. And I'm going to go with a player who's just not working out, and we both loved him. And I, I Grant Delpit. Oh, I'm yeah. Grant, like oh. The, this, Grant, Grant is, did not play well this weekend. Um, you know, I thought the tackling issues, well, he had a bad ankle. He... You know, he's an instinctive player. There's a lot of dynamic things he does. But the problem that seems to be there is the discipline to play discipline-focused football, assignment-sound football. He seems to have issues with that, and he leans too much and plays out of control. And that out-of-control aspect of his game has just gone too far to the point that, I mean, literally watching him fall down and a tight end score on a play that had no business or taking himself out of position for an end around to Tyquan Thornton and just go and just looking at that and saying you on top of missing the occasional tackle you're not you know maybe if he's in maybe if the Browns didn't play a too deep 
shell a lot and said, we're going to be aggressive and we're going to use you as an attacking Troy Polamalu-esque player and leverage those strengths. But in order to do that, you have to be sound everywhere else for him to pop. And they don't have that defense. And we're not in an era of the league where you can run that kind of defense with success. So he's just mismatched and he doesn't have the skills to do what needs to so be done. So disappointing. Because, I yeah. mean, we talked about him the year he came out. I mean, this is a kid that, yeah, the missed tackles were an issue. But, I mean, there were very few safeties I had seen in the probably five years prior to him that showed me the ability to, even from just a sole center field alignment, get all the way to the sideline and help him cover it. He could come down and cover slot receivers. He could pick up running backs and cover. I mean, I looked at him and thought, wow, athletically – and instinctively, I thought there's nothing he can't do. Yeah. When you watch him now, he looks like he's literally like on a bike going downhill. Like he can't slow down. He doesn't have that ability to sort of. And you know what? I mean, obviously, we're it's second year. Yeah. Um, you'd love to see where he's going to be in the fourth year, but I don't know if he's going to get there. I don't know if there's going to be enough improvement to justify it. But he's one of those guys. It, it will the game ever slow down enough so he doesn't have to play out of control. Because you're right, out of control is the perfect way to describe him. He just, any fake, any manipulation, he's all over it because he just doesn't know how to sit back, take a deep breath, watch the play unfold, and then react. Yeah, It's instantaneous. He feels he has to be on his bike racing there. Uh, another guy I like in the secondary who's a, a kind of a my guy who plays more inside but can play some outside, but is so good at reading what the quarterback does and anticipating where he can peel off coverage and and attack is Kenny Moore with Indianapolis. I like Kenny Moore a lot for how I he plays. I love him. And I think he's a guy you can move all around. That's the beauty of this kid. I mean, if I'm in the end zone, I have no problem putting him way outside and saying, you're going to press and you're going to chew up that fade route yeah. because you know how to play physically. You have ball skills. You have a great ability and instinct to read that receiver and get your head around. I mean, and you can put him in the box. Even though he's not a big kid, he plays big, and he'll fight through stuff. I mean, yeah, he's a, that's a – truthfully, that may be the best example of a guy that either of us has mentioned today that fits the mold of, I think, what we've been describing if we want. Yeah. Because he plays like he's got it. Like when you walk, watch him walk out and line up, you just get the sense that there's a kid that he knows in his head – this is my thing. I got it. This yeah. is no problem. And he plays like, and give, that's what I love. Yeah, give me Kenny Moore and Kyle Duggar, and just yeah, like, right? and and I'll deal with I'll deal with a couple other players that I'm not in love with. You know, well, you give me those two, I can take some Denzel Perrimans at linebacker because I know these guys can handle a lot of the stuff that's going on around them. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So let's let's finish this part up and we'll continue this conversation in the next episode with some other positions. But let's finish it up with the other side of the ball. And let's go to running back. And who are you, who are some of your guys at running back and who are some guys that you're that you're like, yeah, they're good, but they're not really my guy. Well, the guy I would say, I mean, I think there's a lot of running backs I like. Um, your favorite guy is on this team, but I like Kareem Hunt. He's the Kareem is just I love one of those guys. Kareem Hunt. Because he isn't Everything about him isn't uh, as you would teach it because he does play right on that border being out of control. Yeah. But the thing I love about his out of control is when he's out of control, it sort of has a tie in with, I also want to murder you 
with my body. Yes. He's never out of control, like falling down on his own. He's out of control trying to slam his helmet through the defender's chest. Um, and he has a knack. There's something about him when you watch him in traffic. He is a feel for a thicker body guy. He's nimble. He can make little subtle movements to avoid contact. He can get through smaller creases than you would expect. And he's more natural catching the ball out of the backfield than a lot of thicker bodies running backs. A lot of thick guys, it's an effort when they have to turn and, and adjust. And just there's something about that kid when I watch him. Whereas the other end is I am not a Melvin Gordon guy. Right. Just, and I love the kid. He's a great kid. And he's, a, I think, far exceeded as a receiver what I expected of him, considering he caught 13 balls his whole college career. But when I watch Melvin, I see a guy that is an upright runner. And more concerning to me is I don't know if he's naturally instinctive because yeah. he's bouncing into blockers a lot. What I see from him is a guy that he doesn't know where exactly he's going to hit. Now, once he sees it, he's like a Maserati. He puts a foot in the ground and he hits 200 miles an hour in about two steps and he can just run away from people. But I don't think he's instinctive and he's not a real wiggle guy. If you get near him, you can usually bring him down, not because he's not tough and running hard. It's just he doesn't have that agility and, and quickness side to side to make guys miss. So he takes a lot of hits. So I love the kid. And, and I'm not saying he's a not a good football player. He's just yeah. not to me what you want as a starting tailback. Right. I love those. I love those examples because for me, I can encapsulate it on one team a guy who's my guy and a guy who I think is a, a very good football player, but not my guy at the position. And it's with the Chicago Bears right now. I think David Montgomery, obviously he's a great guy. He's a, he's, you know, there's a lot that's loved about him. He's so much fun to watch because he's all hard cuts and jump cuts and great perseverance. And he plays with that, that energy and physicality and doesn't give up and quit. And he can catch the ball Love all that about his game. Fun to watch. But I like more efficient running backs. Like, you can make those cuts, but I feel like every answer, every answer he supplies to every problem is a jump stop and a jump cut. And that costs him windows of opportunity sometimes. And you only it, need to use it when you need to use it. Yes. Not every single run. Yes. It wastes energy. It causes lanes to close up. It... it it creates more problems that he has to then overcome. So some of the runs that he makes are like almost him creating some of the opposition for himself. So yeah. where in contrast, I like I think Khalil Herbert is a is actually a more efficient back, has more speed, um, can both bend around defenders without hard cuts, but can also make the hard cuts when he needs to. Not as physical as Montgomery, but physical enough. Um, he can break tackles and he can get on top of a defense pretty fast. So those are examples of either direction. And a guy who I can't believe that I, I mean, I'm watching him last night because I'm writing, I'm finishing something up for today for football guys about him. But I just can't, I still can't believe how much slander this guy gets year after year because of his contract right now. And that they've got a speedier back in Tony Pollard who is, you know, very efficient with the draw plays. I mean, he's running more plays than just draws right now, and he's getting more red zone work, and he's he looks good. He's a good young player. But the slander I hear about Ezekiel Elliott, maybe personally, 
maybe the contract being bigger than what it should have been that he should be worth but what he does on the football field i will take that eight days a week the guy still watching him play he can deal he's one of the few running backs in the league who can still turn a play where there's three points of penetration into the backfield and turn it into a game and not just a small game you know he mitigates losses he has the micro movements you're talking about he knows when to use the dynamic cuts when not to i saw a play against the eagles from the monday night i'm watching literally takes the handoff there's penetration up the middle easy for him to have to cut it through but he sees the edge penetration that has that leverage against the either i think it was noah brown probably it was you know that coming off there and he just in an instant opens the toe points the toe opens the hips doesn't jump cut david montgomery would have jump cut or or Kenyon drake would have jump cut into the into the edge defender because they because they wouldn't have realized how inefficient their move was to get away from the interior penetration elliot slides away from the interior penetration by opening his hips sees the edge defender and then plants and spins back the opposite direction into the hole and gains nine yards on the play and breaks a tackle in the in in the in the midst of doing it because he knows how to get downhill and his pad level like a fournette like a nick chubb like kareem hunt they know how to angle their pad to get the first bit of contact even if the guy's initiating the collision he'll meet the collision first by lowering the pad and being the first to make the hit. It's yeah. not about who initiates the hit. It's who who actually makes the first contact. And he will drive off that contact. And when I watch Elliot, he may be a tick slower than what he was. Um, and it may look like he's running in slow motion a little bit. But gain after gain, I'm watching four yards, five yards, seven yards, ten yards. And doing it in situations that Tony Pollard is not doing it in. And, and, well, here's the question. Yeah. Do you think some of it is because, A, they're Ameri- they are one of, if not the America's team in terms of who everybody likes to either hate or love. Yeah. So when they're bad, which they've been bad for a decade now, yeah. when they don't win consistently, and when their offensive line, although they have some great players, some of their guys like Smith have not been the great player they were because of injuries, and some of their other guys have been up and down the past two or three years that – those things combined with the fact that over the past three or four years, there is little question that the analytics of running have been beaten into a dead horse, that you can't win running. Yeah. So when they lose, the blame is put on Elliot. Yeah. Not on many other factors. Whereas I think if you had Elliot on a team that was winning and you had a creative maybe, and I don't want to start bashing people, but an offensive coach where there was creativity. Yeah. I think you would see a lot more production from Elliott, more than he even has now when he's healthy, but you'd hear a lot less bashing. I think part of it is the Cowboys being the center of the media fixation with hating or loving, and that that O-line, it's not been a good O-line. Yeah. It's, it's been an up-and-down offensive line with, in my opinion, predictable play call. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I mean, he's so good in pass pro. There's so much about his game that I look at as the standard at running back right now still. And yep. and it's just it's hilarious to me that he's become like the meme for 
for an, for certain analytical stuff in the media and it's like you're you're moving down, you're you've you've created your own problem by yeah, getting so hard for yeah. going so hard to the hole on Ezekiel Elliott when and now what's funny is if you're in a fantasy sphere the fantasy people won't see that because they go well Zeke's the 26th ranked rusher in points versus Pollard who's the 28th but if you look at carries Right now, Ezekiel Elliott is sixth or seventh in the NFL in carries, and and the difference between all the other backs ahead of him um, is that all of them have a quarterback right now. All of them have a quarterback and had at least two receivers who were decent. He had he didn't have Gallup until last week, and he hasn't had Prescott but one week. Um, yep. and it matters. So it's gonna matter, and so I look at players like that, and I think. Anybody who shows what Ezekiel Elliott's showing, even if you say that he's not quite as fast as he was, to me, I would take him every day, all day, based on what he does on the field. And and that's weird for me to... I, I still look at him and go, when people say, Ezekiel Elliott, what do you think? I go, elite running back in the NFL. And usually I get... I get, get like, I get, yeah, I yeah. get the, I get the dog cock, you know, where they like cock their head, you know, and look confused. That's the, that's the look I tend to get from people. Cause no, he's the, still, yeah. when you watch the film, he is still a productive player. It just, there's a lot of things making it tough for him. Yeah. When you can't throw the ball and the whole box is filled with defenders yeah. and there's no space and your O-line is not particularly good. Ooh, that's a tough sell. Yeah. And it is. And it's funny because you look at, you know, you look at the numbers between the two, and last year it was very clear. Ezekiel Elliott ran with ran mostly when the back had to run against eight nine man boxes. Elliott did all of that, whereas yep. most of what Pollard was running against were five and six man boxes. Um, now this year it's changed a bit. To Pollard's credit, he's getting more of those touches, but at the same time, um, you know, Pollard is. 20% of Pollard's runs are for no gain now, now that he's facing these heavier boxes. And that's a 16% change from what he had last year. Whereas with Elliott, 23% of his runs are for no gain, but that's no change from what he did the year before. And only 9% of his plays are runs for losses, whereas 18% of Pollard's runs are for a loss. Um, so Pollard, at, you know, and... You know, when you look at the gains for like at least eight yards, which to me are like, that's a good figure to say you're moving the chains and you're making yep. that. That's fine. Well, 23% of Pollard's runs are for eight, at least eight yards. 22% of Elliott's runs are gains of at least eight yards. And he's doing it more often against heavier boxes and in situations where the defense know knows what's running. coming. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. No, it, it's... And trust me, I'm not saying he's what he was three years ago, but he's still, in my opinion, on the upper group of running backs. That yeah. if you had a frontline team with a good quality quarterback, you could still get high-level production and him be the feature guy, not just part of a tandem. He could be that 18 to 20 yeah. touch-a-game guy and put up really productive numbers for two or three more years. It's like... It's like imagine Corey Dillon when he went to the to the New England Patriots with Tom yep. Brady, and they still ran the ball more than they threw it yep. while Brady was developing. That's where Elliott is in his career right now. If 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 the if the um, if the Rams needed to trade for a running back, 
and they weren't looking at McCaffrey or looking at a more of a scat back look, or if Leonard Fournette went down and they didn't trust Rashad Wright White in Tampa and Brady's getting to say, I want this guy, you know, and they had the yep. money to do it, which they probably wouldn't, but Elliot would be that guy you could plug in and go, he, he could carry our team. Oh, no doubt. No, he's, I, I, I don't get it, but same time I'm not in that building in Dallas and there's a reason they haven't won for a long time. Yeah. I tell you, well, you know, we're winning having you in the building today. And, and <laughs> I think the, the two of us win when we do this together. Yeah, it's it's definitely a blast to do. And we're going to continue this conversation next time we meet up and look at some of the other players and maybe talk about a couple other topics as well as we get going and we start, you know, as we're kind of gathering hay here to to talk about, you know, some of the some of next year's class and some of the players that we've been watching. But um, yep, definitely. Yeah, so it's been fun, and we appreciate you guys listening in. And of course, you can subscribe to the RSP Cast at all the at the outlets that are available, and you can you know find more film work at Matt Waldman RSPs, Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room on um, YouTube, and of course at the site mattwaldmanrsp.com, um, and you can find Russ Landy at Russ Landy um, on Twitter. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a blast when we get to do this again in a couple of weeks. And maybe at one of these all-star games, we do it in person. Right? Yeah, that should be fun. That would be a great idea. <laughs>